Just watch my servant blossom, exalted, tall, head and shoulders above the crowd. But he didn't begin that way. At first, everyone was appalled. He didn't even look human. A ruined face, disfigured past recognition. Nations all over the world will be in awe, taken aback. Kings shocked into silence when they see him. For what was unheard of, they'll see with their own eyes. What was unthinkable, they'll have right before them. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There's nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on, passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him, and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment, and that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But he didn't say a word like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, like a sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten, bloody, for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. As he himself carries the burden of their sins, therefore I'll reward him 
extravagantly. The best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and he didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all of the black sheep. Almost just stop there. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, worship team. Uh, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. It's good to be in and around believers. Uh, it's just good to be here this morning. I know you grew up with your mom telling you always think before you speak, but I'm going to tell you differently this morning, okay? I want the first thing that pops into your mind without thinking about it. You ready? Go ahead and say it out loud, and then I'll try and pick up as many as I can. What's the first superhero that pops into your mind? Ready, set, go. Superman. Superman. Black Widow. Black Widow. Captain, Cap Captain America. Hawkeye. Hawkeye. <laughs> There's some older superheroes in here. I know that. Come on. Batman. Batman. Anybody else? Hulk Say again. Hulk smash. <laughs> I love it. All right, so let's push that just a little bit deeper. What makes them superheroes? Why do we call them superheroes? They fight bad guys, okay? Their integrity. Their integrity. Oh, good. Wow. What else? Their drive for justice. I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but there is always some sort of superhero mask on, uh, <laughs> on Kendra. Yeah? You, usually you? Oh, you got the Marvel stuff on too, yeah. Yep. What else? What else makes them superheroes? Their powers. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anything else? They're fearless. Huh. More than. More than. They're more than. Yeah, more than human. Sure, willing to put themselves beneath others, to sacrifice themselves for other people. That's good. That's good. They don't flinch. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Let you in on a little secret, okay? I used to preach to superheroes. Ooh. I used to preach to super. If I ever write a book, that's going to be the title of it. I <laughs> preach to superheroes. So look for that title, like in 60 years from now. I used to preach to superheroes. When I first took over as lead pastor here, uh, late 2009 or so, remember that, Pastor Ron? Oh, that was good when you just handed me the reins. <laughs> we lived down the hill at a house on mission, and that summer before, we had had a vacation Bible school with a superhero theme. So my wife took it upon herself in our basement where the boys' playroom was to paint some superheroes on the walls. Yeah, you get, to see, you get to see some of these paintings. She did a really good job on those. All right, so Saturday evenings, to prep to be ready for Sunday mornings, because this is the way James works, I would go downstairs, Bible in hand, and I would preach to superheroes. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, if I made a good point, I would high-five Batman. It was really good. I'd give Iron Man a bump, and you know, every once in a while I heard Spider-Man say amen. 
<laughs> but if I was driving home the point as I practiced, all right, as I was, as I was mining the gold in the text, if it was going to be powerful, I looked straight at superhero Jesus. Mm. Says, Jesus, you're my superhero. It's a great vacation Bible school theme. My, my youngest son gave his life to Christ that year. Check this out. Look, great picture. <laughs> He's about five times that tall now. All right, so superhero Jesus. Great idea to put up in a boy's playroom. Great idea for a vacation Bible school theme. And, you know, isn't that how we picture Jesus anyway, right? Or maybe I'm the only one, superhero Jesus, flying in to save the day. You know, superheroes don't always look the same. They don't always act the same. They don't always have the same superpowers. Superheroes are not always athletes, politicians, billionaires, Policemen, models, firemen with six-pack abs? Well, okay, all of them are superheroes, but superheroes don't even always act like we'd expect. I met a superhero in a Wyoming wilderness once. I'll tell you her story at the end of my sermon. Let's pray. God, it's already evident that you are here with us this morning. We don't even have to ask for your presence because we feel it. We know it's true. But what we ask this morning is that you would allow us to hear what your presence wants us to hear. Would you move us uh, in our spirits with your spirit? Help us to see you in a new way this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, so I want to introduce you to an unexpected superhero. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the prophet Isaiah. The chapter 52. As you're turning there, since February of this last year, we've been doing two-week mini-series is this. that how we say it, right? Two-week series uh, looking at some of the foundations of the faith, the, the basics, the, the, the parts that make the core of our, of our faith. It's all part of a bigger series called the Catechumenate that we're doing. Now, since February, we've wrestled with, is there a God? We've looked at God in story. We've asked, who is God? Who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? We've even tried to understand the Trinity. Today and next week, we, talk, we tackle the topic of redemption. Okay? Redemption. And we're going to begin by looking at redemption in the Old Testament. It's real easy for us in 2020 to, to quickly fast forward and, and look back at all of it. But I want us to place ourselves in the Old Testament, in Isaiah's time. So right around 700 B.C. We're going to look at redemption as is seen in here. Now, so we're all on the same page. The, the definition I'm using, I'm kind of going off of for redemption, is by a guy named David Reitmeier. He said, finding its context in the social, legal, and religious customs of the ancient world, the metaphor of redemption includes the ideas of loosing a bond, setting free from captivity or slavery, buying back something lost or sold, exchanging something in one's possession for something possessed by another, and ransoming. That makes sense? I think it was on the screen, so you got to follow it along. All right? Israel, God's chosen people in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, it's an understatement to say they needed redeeming. They needed rescuing quite a bit. I mean, you think of the classic redemption story of, of God saving the Israelite people from, from Egypt. But there was way more than that in the Old Testament. 
way more times that the, the Israelite people had to cry out to God for his saving. You know, just a light reading of the Old Testament will show us that. And that's what's going on in today's text. The Israelites find themselves again in slavery, in captivity, and, they're, and they're, they've been crying out to God. This time, they're in captivity to the Assyrians. We see this in Isaiah 52, verse 4, in the first part of verse 5. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. God had to rescue them from there. All right? Now they are oppressed by Assyria. What is this? Asks the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Now, God wasn't a God who left his people hanging forever. Yes, he was a God of justice, was a God of, of wrath and punishment, but he was also a God of mercy, of love, of forgiveness. And he would always step in when the time was right. Always. In fact, that's why it became known that true redemption always came from God. True redemption always came from God himself. Remember that. All right, we get to our text that you got to hear Cindy read once. You got to hear Christy read as well. And we see God through the prophet Isaiah telling the people, this is how I'm going to redeem you this time. This is how I'm going to save you this time. And I'm going I'm to send my servant. Isaiah 52, verse 13 in the New Living, it says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Or from another translation, maybe you read from the English Standard, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Put yourself in the Israelite's shoes as Isaiah starts this prophecy. Okay, they're looking around at their captors, the Assyrians. They're, they're thinking, how long have we been here? And then they hear Isaiah say this, God's going to send his servant. He's going to be high and lifted up. And you got to think they're like, oh, finally. Whew, right? God's going to step in. He's going to send his servant. New things are going to happen. New things that, that haven't been heard. He, but it's going to be like it's always been. God's going to come in. He's going to kick some tail, take some names. We see this in chapter 52, verse 15. And he will start, or he will cleanse many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. They will see what they had not seen, or see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard. At chapter 53, verse 1, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? The Israelites are like, oh yeah. <laughs> Isaiah mentioned God's powerful arm. This is about to reach into history again. To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? Friends, it sounds like a superhero is about to step in, doesn't it? You can nod yes. Okay? Sounds like a superhero is about to step in. This isn't the first time that God's powerful arm has been mentioned by Isaiah in his prophecy. If you have the book of Isaiah memorized, you know this. And for those of us who don't have it memorized, let me review just a couple of verses where the strong arm is mentioned. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Okay, another time, Isaiah 51, verse 5. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. 
All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. One more time, Isaiah 52, verse 10. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. At the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth, will see the victory of our God. Okay, First Church, what's the mental picture going on right now? God's big old bicep, right? <laughs> We're getting there. It's God's big old bicep, raw power, indescribable strength. Think back to the 1990s, for those of you who were alive and whose memory can go back that long. Did anybody ever hear of the power team? <laughs> I thought it was just a Texas thing. I was living outside of Dallas at that time. But there's a couple of you that have heard of them. Oh, for those that didn't, you missed out on life. Okay, that's right, the first American, yes, so the power team was this group of huge, muscular, powerful men who would tour around to different churches, they would rip phone books in half, they would, they would demolish license plates, they bench press up outrageous amounts, you know those red hot water bottles you used to put on your stomach when they didn't feel good? They would blow them up until they exploded. These guys were amazing. They'd do all that and then they'd give glory to God. Right? They were weightlifting evangelists. <laughs> you guys laugh, man. I was moved deeply when I saw them perform live. My goodness. When I picture the strong arm of God, I picture the power team times like, you know, a gazillion gazillion. To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? All right, the Israelites, they're in captivity, they're enslaved, they're, they're exiled by the Assyrians. They're hearing Isaiah start this message like this, and you got to think they're smiling on the inside because the superhero redeemer is about to show up. Redemption from God is about to take place. I mean, can't you see the Israelites? Confident, almost excited. They've got the light pointed to the sky with the bat symbol, I mean the Yahweh symbol, and they know that God's about to show up. You know what they're saying? Oh, yeah. You can say that with me. You got to say it nice and deep, though, okay? Oh, yeah. Michael, I didn't hear you. One more time. Oh, yeah. That's better. The power of God is about to show up, okay? So imagine the shock and awe when the prophet Isaiah continues. And what the Israelites heard next did not describe the superhero redeemer God that they had heard of and maybe even experienced in the past. You look right off the bat, and this servant that God's going to send, he's not going to be the usual redeemer, which is a looker, okay? Tall, dark, and handsome. That's what the Israelites are used to. Joseph, think back to the Old Testament. Genesis 39 says Joseph was handsome and a well-built young man. King David, he was a hottie, all right? <laughs> 1 Samuel 16, verse 12, he was dark and handsome with a beautiful smile. Both of these guys played redemptive roles in the, in the story of the, of the Israelites. And when the Israelites are thinking God's going to step in and redeem, they're thinking these type of people. But the servant Isaiah that God was talking about, he was not described like that at all. The servant in this wasn't described like that at all, not even close. Verse 14 says this. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. From his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. 
second verse in chapter 53 says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Remember, we're in the Old Testament here. We're not fast forward to 2,000 years later when we're picturing Jesus yet, okay? We're in the Old Testament. They're hearing of this. And the Israelites, the first half of verse 2 of chapter 53, it talks about a tender shoot, a green tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. We today think, oh, that's, that's prophetic. Isaiah 11.1 1 talks about the, the kingdom of David always being part of, of Jesse's shoot. And we're like, ah, oh, that's a good verse. Yeah, it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. But what Isaiah was saying is it's like this, this little shoot that springs out of dry ground. That's, that's, I call them suckers. Okay, you know what those are? The, like they just, it's from the tree root. I've got aspen trees in my backyard. Like 15 years ago, there was two of them. Now there's like eight because I didn't cut the suckers away. And they just kept growing every spring and then every two weeks after I have to cut those things away because they're not good I mean they just they're worthless and what Isaiah is doing when he's describing this servant of God that he's saying he's not gonna be well what you expect he's not a looker and we ah. I mean to make matters worse Isaiah keeps going in verse 3 he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Now, if you're an Israelite, you're going like, wait, hold on. Wait, wait a minute. This, this doesn't sound like a Redeemer superhero God. This sounds like the kid who gets picked last on the, on the ball field, if he even gets picked at all. Verse 3 has a repeated word in there. Did you catch it? What was it? Anybody? Despised. Despised. In the English, we hear this word, and it's not a pretty picture. It's a word full of emotion, of disgust, of blah. That, that's Hebrew for despised. Okay? Something very purposely cast away with disdain. Now, in the Hebrew, this word despise means to consider something or someone as worthless, unworthy of attention. It's not even like, I'm not going to pick you. It's just a hasty dismissal. Come on. Not even like not picked last, but you don't even notice it's the kid on the far side of the playground that nobody sees. I mean, you hear this verse again with that in mind. The servant was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. John Oswald, in his commentary on Isaiah, writes this about redeemers or deliverers. Deliverers and redeemers are dominating, forceful, attractive people who by their personal magnetism draw people to themselves and convince people to do what they want them to do. This is what the Israelites were expecting. This is what they were hoping for. This is anything but what Isaiah is describing. In fact, if you keep reading and you've heard it read twice through now, you get to hear words like this describing the servant that God would send. Pierced, crushed, beaten, oppressed, treated harshly, silent. Silent, really? That's what, verse, that's what verse 7 says. He was oppressed and treated harshly, never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. I mean, if, if you're an Israelite, you're like, silent? Come on, really, you're the Redeemer. Say something. Stand up for yourself. 
Isaiah kept describing him. Condemned. Led away. No one cared. Life cut short. Buried like a criminal. Crushed. Verse 10 begins like this. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. That doesn't sound like a redeemer. That doesn't sound like a superhero. Remember, I told you right off the bat, the superheroes are not always who we expect them to be. Superheroes don't always act like we think they should. A redemption in the Old Testament, it always involved a deliverance from bondage and a payment of a price. And it almost always, if not always, involved sin. So there was some sort of payment of a price for sin. The Israelites had to be listening, and they're like, well, what's the cost? What's, what's the price? If they were listening to Isaiah's prophecy, they would have realized right away that the, the cost, the price of redemption, was going to be the life of the servant. The life of the servant. Second half of verse 10 says this. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his plan, in his hand. Isaiah 53, verse 6, the second half of it said, Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now, if it was the sin of the Israelites that got them into this mess of captivity and exile into Assyria, then the servant himself was going to be the Redeemer's payment. The servant himself was going to be the redeemer's payment. And I love Isaiah's language in here because he very purposely includes himself in that needing redemption category. You look and the language that we see is us. Now by us, Isaiah means himself and the Israelites. Of course, we today, we read the us and it's very easy to put us in the us. Right? Because we're used to doing that. Listen to the cost that was paid for redemption, the reasons behind the price that was paid. Verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought it was his troubles that were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our Sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth unjustly condemned. He was led away. You hear that? He went through this so that we could go through this, right? He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, whipped so we could be healed. Put yourself in the Israelites' shoes back then, not, not today, where we, we know a more full story, but they're like, wait, this isn't the way it normally happens. God's powerful arm comes in. This is not the look of a superhero. And yet, 
This is superheroes' work. This is Redeemer's work that was done in the most unexpected of ways. There's all sorts of people outside of Christianity that will look at a passage like this and say, that God fella, he's mean, he's cruel, he's heartless. Look, he just sends his, his servant off to get sacrificed. In this passage, we don't really see it well because we skim right over it. But God is saying he would be the redeemer. We're like, wait, wait, wait. He, he's sending a servant. That's what he's doing. Again, we're in the shoes of the Israelites. But God was saying he would be the redeemer. He would bring the redemption. Verse 13 in the English Standard Version says this. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Say those last three words with me. He shall be exalted. Okay. What we've got to understand is this. In Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 2, uh, verse 6 to 22, the prophet was very adamant, very forceful to say that we do not exalt humans. We do not lift up humans. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Verse 17, same chapter. Human pride will be humbled and human arrogance will be brought down. Say this with me. Only the Lord will be exalted on that day of judgment. Okay, not a trick question. Who will be exalted? The Lord. What does that say about Isaiah 52, 13? The Lord will be exalted. Okay, not convinced that it's God doing the redeeming? Let's look at that same verse still. Dig just a little bit deeper. Isaiah 52, 13 says this, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. High and lifted up. Three other times the prophet Isaiah uses this phrase. All three times, I'm going to get, it's the punchline right here. All three times he's talking about God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. That's right. <laughs> in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah 33, verse 10. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of the contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Who is high and lifted up? The Lord. Who is exalted? The Lord. And in Isaiah 52, verse 13, he says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up. Now, again, 2,700 years later, we know the connections that are being made. But the Israelites on that day, I don't know if they did. But if they were paying attention, they're thinking, wait, something's not, something, something's strange here. Something's out of the ordinary. This powerful arm that the Lord has always displayed in certain ways, this is different. This is unexpected. 
doesn't look like the usual superhero redeemer that we see. The prophet Isaiah died around year 700 B.C. Okay, so 700 years before Christ. He didn't know how much the words that he was saying would be pointing towards this future superhero who would live, breathe, die, and be resurrected in a totally unexpected way. 2,700 years later, that's us today. Okay? We today usually always read this text through the lens of Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to look at that next week. Okay? We're looking at redemption in the New Testament next week. This is Old Testament today. But we see this and we see a fuller story. We insert ourselves easily and joyfully into the text. We recognize the cost that Christ paid for us to redeem us. We're not surprised by this text, but the Israelites would have been. They would have been surprised. Redemption always comes from God. But sometimes it comes in unexpected ways. Redemption always comes from God, but sometimes it comes in unexpected ways. I told you at the beginning that I met a superhero in the Wyoming wilderness, and I told you I'd tell her story. So in the summer of 2003 and 2004, I was leading wilderness trips for a leadership development company. What we did was we'd take junior high and senior high youth groups out into the woods, and that was our classrooms to develop leaders. And it was it was hard. It wasn't just like walking on Centennial Trail. Okay, we're going out where there's, there was no cell phone service. The youth pastors knew that they had to bring students that were physically capable of doing a week, you know, with a 30, 40, 50 pound pack on their back, going up, going down. And I knew immediately when I saw this young lady step out of the van that there was going to be challenges. She had a very pronounced limp okay some sort of physical disability and immediately i'm like oh she's not gonna make it so i grabbed the youth pastor i'm like hey what's, what's going on he says look every single physical challenge that i set trying to get it to where her mom would see she couldn't come she passed so i couldn't say no all right let's go First day in and we were dragging she was dragging we were well behind and then things got worse we <laughs> we lost the trail we were six hours from our last water stop there had been a burn the year before we had been warned we hadn't listened <laughs> but we lost the trail and it's getting dark quickly you know we had two options hike back six hours to water or like drop this into this ravine really really steep we thought we heard water down in the bottom. Well, so we didn't really have two options. We had one option. We needed to go down. And we did. And this young lady was dragging. So much so that I knew if, if, if we don't split the group up, which you just don't do, right? But if we didn't split the group up, then we were all going to get in there well after dark. So I sent the other trip leader with, you know, 90% of the group down this steep ravine. And myself and the, the youth pastor and the, this young, this young, I mean, this junior high girl and like two others stayed back. We were just slowly, one step at a time, making our way down. You know, and then, then you hear the, the sound that nobody in the wilderness wants to hear. You hear three whistles, which is the universal signal for emergency. And I thought for sure we're going to be life flighting somebody out of there. Okay, it, it was pitch black by the time my group 
a group of like five of us got down to camp. Luckily, the other group had got there sooner. They had set up camp. They had food. We got rest. There was water there. The next morning, we found the trail. It, it took about three miles of hiking to find it. But we got back, got the group, and we set off. By the start of day two, we were three days behind. So we had to hike long and hard, and it was not easy. There was blood, there was sweat, there was tears, a lot of tears, but not a single tear from this young lady. Not a single tear from her. In fact, she wasn't always leading physically in the front, but she was leading this group. Like she would, as people were giving up, as they were taking their packs off crying, she would walk by, she'd give them a hug, she'd encourage them, she'd tell them to keep going, and then she'd throw her pack back on and she'd just, she'd keep limping forward. There was no doubt in any of our minds by the time we got done with that trip who the hero was. No doubt. She redeemed that trip. Because we should have called the Rangers and had them come in with like, you know, ATVs. We should have. But even as some of the leaders were wanting to quit, she wouldn't let them. Superheroes can show up in the most unexpected ways. Redeemers and redemption can happen in ways that we would never think possible. True redemption always comes from God, but sometimes it doesn't look like we would expect. Here's my challenge for this week. I want you guys to look around the life that you're currently living, okay? Don't go do anything wild or crazy, but your everyday, Monday, mundane, Monday through Friday life, I want you to look for where God may be redeeming people and things around you. Keep in mind our definition, right? We're looking for loosing of bonds, setting free from whatever type of captivity or slavery, buying something back, exchanging something, right? Ransoming. Are there ways in your world that God is loosing the bonds from someone. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody else. Can you see and join in God's work as he's setting captives free? Do you want to be able to work with God to buy something back? Is there some sort of exchange that you can make, physical, spiritual, emotional, that will be joining in the ransoming of a soul? I want us to look for these opportunities this week. Because if you've got God's eyes, I guarantee you're going to see them. You know, read and reread our text. If you need a reminder that redemption doesn't always happen how and when and where and with whom that we think it should. But if we're looking and if we're willing to take part, God's going to allow us to be part of his redemptive work. He's always the one that redeems. Oh, but how exciting for us to have a chance to be a part of it. Amen. If you see something, join in. Let us know. All right, post it on our Facebook page. Text me. Okay, call somebody who's here. Call somebody who's watching online. You know, and if they, if they didn't watch this, tell them to watch this and then tell them, look at what I saw. Okay, because at the end of the day, we want to say, oh, yeah. God's in the business of redeeming. Not all superheroes look the same. Maybe this week, you're going to play a part. Let's look together. God, it's exciting to me just to be able to think that you would trust us enough to play part of, to walk alongside you in your redemptive story. Lord, if we put ourselves in the sandals of the Israelites, I, I, I can't even fathom what they were thinking because they were not expecting 
this type of this suffering servant that we read about. And frankly, I don't even know if they would have been re- expecting you as God Almighty to, to suffer as the form of redemption. Lord, oftentimes I'll confess, we get kind of calloused at this idea. We, we just brush over it because we're so used to hearing the story. But Lord, I, I ask that you would surprise us anew this week. Surprise us in a new way of the ways you are working, moving, and redeeming the worlds that we live in. Give us eyes to see and the courage to step into those stories. We will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise when that happens. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.